This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to everyone. For those who are visiting today, I'm Clayton Wilfer. I'm the pastor here at Joy. And for those who are worshiping with us online, blessings to you. We have announcements, as we always do before we begin our time of worship. So this Wednesday begins Lent, and we begin Lent with Ash Wednesday. It will be a time of full worship. We will have both the imposition of ashes for those who desire, and uh, we will also have communion that night as well. It starts at 7 p.m. It will be here in person, obviously, but it will also be streaming online. And then we will have our regular Wednesday Lenten services through uh, the, the, the time of Lent, but um, before uh, leading up to Holy Week. What that also means is that Bible study right now is on hold through Lent, through Easter, and actually going to be resuming Wednesday, April 17th. So for those who've been involved in our study in Revelation, uh, we will pick it up in mid-April. Uh, coming up, we are uh, actually working on a new website. I sent that out in the joyful update. One of the things uh, about our website, or any website, is that it's often the first thing that a person who's visiting or interested in the church, they often go to the website first. So it's hospitality. Our website is very functional, easy to use, but it's a bit dated. And so we are going to be updating that. Bob Hager has been working on updating it. He's doing a really nice job. He's done a lot of actually work for the church, uh, a lot of videos. He will also be here hopefully next Sunday during worship to take some pictures during worship because one of the things that people want to see is people in the church. They don't want to just see an empty sanctuary. So he'll be taking pictures. If you want to dress up, you can, but you don't have to, okay? Just Come to church normal. He'll be pretty unobtrusive. But I'm actually very excited because this is the, a, a good thing for the church uh, of refreshing our website. Easy to use is also one of the things that we're working on. Name tags. So uh, we have name tags. As we continue to grow and new people come, uh, wear name tags. Now, if you forget to wear a name tag... Uh, we actually now have a little box with extra name tags on the welcome table. So if you forget one, you can just uh, pick up your, an extra one. If uh, you don't have one and would like a name tag, you can also just put your name on the, uh, on the sheet right there as well. <laughs> Here's what I did. I printed off a whole sheet of mine. <laughs> Okay, um, <laughs> movie nights. So uh, in the joyful update, I mentioned that, uh, yeah, we want to have movie nights. They're great for us and for outreach, uh, but my, ta my time has been really constrained. So if you would like to be on a very small committee to help pick movies, because we've got to ha have movies that have been watched and are good to show in a sanctuary, but also making sure we got the license, that we do social media 
working with our church secretary. She knows how to do all of the social media type things. Uh, and then actually doing the, the setup for the night, all of that, so I can step out. It's just that my time has been pushed, especially, by the way, in our Bible study in Revelation, tough book to, to work through, and uh, that's just taken more of my time. So if you're willing to be on a movie committee, two, three people, uh, please let me know. We already have one person. Coming up, we have our all-church meeting next Sunday. It'll be right after worship. And uh, we, we normally don't take terribly long, an hour probably at the most. And uh, we uh, will be electing council members. So right now we have a candidate for vice president. We have uh, candidates for at-large members. We do not have a candidate for president. So if you have been considering this and you've been holding off, waiting to see if somebody else will step up, Now's the time, okay? Talk to me. Talk to, uh, actually, Jim Duke is here. Uh, he can let you know or any council member. Uh, in preparation also for our all-church meeting, uh, we do have uh, financial documents. So I have the P&L uh, from last year, so our profit loss statement from last year our P&L from January that's now available, and the proposed budget. It's all up on the table right by the piano. You can get all of those documents and take a look at them before next week. You'll notice that the budget is, uh, uh, it gives us a little wiggle room, but basically, here's what I want. I'll tell you what I want for our budget. I want us to break even. Yay! <laughs> That's it. Nothing fancy. Let's just break even, folks. For the past number of years, we have really focused on being a nonprofit. I would just like us to break even this year, okay? That's really what the budget's for. And we have worked very hard on reducing our expenses uh, as much as we can. Uh, you'll see what's in the budget for that, okay? Any other announcements? that should be made that I might have missed. Well, we do everything we do, right? All the ministry, the work, uh, sharing the gospel with others, contributing to the church. We do that because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Amen. Will you please stand as you are able? We begin our time of worship in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our call to worship is from Psalm 145. Together, please. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And let's lift up our voices this morning with Sing the Wondrous Love of Jesus, also known as When We All Get to Heaven.
sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. When we all, when we all get to heaven, what a day, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all, when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory, shout the victory. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the toils of life repay. When we all, when we all get to heaven, what a day what of, a rejoicing, day that of rejoicing that will be. When we all, when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and Shout the victory. Shout the victory. Onward to the prize before us. Soon his glorious beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the streets of gold. When we all, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all Amen. Until we get to heaven, there's going to be some ups and downs, right? And we will stumble and fall. We will fall short of the glory of God. But he says, come before me, confess your sins, and be forgiven. So let's do that as a body. Heavenly Father, we come before you to seek your mercy and grace. We have sinned against you and against ourselves with wrong attitudes of selfishness and pride. We have not followed completely what you have told us in your word and have at times even rebelled against your ways. We are sorry. We seek your forgiveness and cleansing through your Son, Jesus Christ to whom all praise and glory will be given. In his name, amen. If that indeed is your confession with a repentant heart, I declare to you the good news of Christ Jesus. You, your sins, forgiven. Amen. You may be seated. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rain that has refreshed us, for the sun that warms us, for the glory of your creation. We take a look at the, your creation and we get a glimpse of your majesty, your power and might. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his cross. For when we see the cross, we see your love, your grace, and mercy. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work that you do in our lives, pointing us to Christ Jesus. So this morning, with gratitude, 
we give you all thanks and praise to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Lord God and Heavenly Father, there are so many people in our lives that need healing. The list just grows and grows. We come before you, before your throne, through the blood of Christ Jesus. And we lift up in prayer our family, our loved ones. And we pray for healing for Linda S., for Ione, for Betsy, for Phyllis, for Susan. We continue to pray for Jan W., for Lynn and Fred, for Judy B. and Judy T., for Nicole, for Bud, for Heidi. Lord God, we lift up Katie and Lisa, Sylvia. We pray for Marianne and Susan Smith, for Adam. We lift up Leah and Todd, for Allie, for Nate and Kristen, for Gary. Lord God, Heavenly Father, heal our friends, our families, our loved ones. Lord, in your mercy, we pray today for the protection of the unborn. We lift up all of the mothers and fathers-to-be that they cling to the preciousness of life which you have given them, that they understand the life before them. We pray for all the counselors that they might see, all the medical professionals they might see, that they too know the this miracle of life. So this morning we lift up, we pray for all of those who are in uncertainty that they may choose life. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are missionaries. We pray this morning as we have for Mafu and Edne in Paraguay. We ask that you would have their work be fruitful that many people would come to faith in Christ Jesus through their work. Give them all wisdom, strength, and fortitude. Keep their family healthy and safe. Lord, in your mercy. We lift up our AFLC. We pray for more men of God to be pastors. We pray for St. Peter Lutheran and Christian Free Lutheran in Iowa. We pray that they may have a shepherd, one who will faithfully, faithfully shepherd the flock to make disciples. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for the ministerial in this town. We pray for, uh, we are thankful and we pray for a greater fervency, uh, boldness throughout all of the Bible-based Christ-centered churches. We lift up Trinity Lutheran Church right now with Pastor John. We ask for a strengthening in that congregation that they too may proclaim in boldness 
the life-saving message of the gospel. Lord, in your mercy, we lift up our church. We thank you for the work that you are doing in our church. We pray your hand be upon us, especially for next week as we have our meeting. We ask for your wisdom, your grace, your mercy. We pray for our upcoming elections that uh, those who are elected who have stepped forth uh, are, are in your will, are in your care, to your glory. Lord, in your mercy. And we lift up our nation this morning. We pray for all of our leaders throughout this land that they may know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord, in your mercy. And now we take a moment to lift up our own personal prayers unto you. We lift this all up in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now we'll have a sharing of God's words for those who are visiting today. We do have our sermon notes. They have the scripture readings there. Also on screen, they correspond to the uh, Pew Bibles. Each of you. Uh, glad to see all that red out there. <laughs> we have Leviticus chapter 19, and our verses for today are 9 through 18. Leviticus chapter 19, 9 to 18. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court, You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. 
but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We then have Ephesians chapter 2. Always hiding these books. (laughs) Ephesians 2, and we're reading verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, for God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. Will you please stand as you are able for a reading of the gospel? The gospel is from Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you 
Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. In response to God's word, let us confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Shall follow me all the 
Let's pray. Holy God, through the power of the Spirit, be with us this very moment as we come to your word. Fill us with greater knowledge, greater love of who you are. Bless us, fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. Parable of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard this parable, or at least have heard the term Good Samaritan. I mean, everybody's heard the term Good Samaritan. We define it as somebody who helps another in need. There's even a Good Samaritan law to protect somebody who comes to the aid of somebody who is in need. And if you were going to sum up the parable of the Good Samaritan, it would be something like, uh, be good to others who need help. Something like that, right? If you're going to be a good person, go out of your way to help somebody who is in need. I mean, this is what we would teach a a child regarding this parable about the Good Samaritan. And we might add the golden rule in there as well, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, that's good, right? If we actually had more people going out of their way to help those in need or doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, life would be better, wouldn't it? But, or however, and it's a big however, If that's all you make out of this parable, you've missed the point. If that's all you make out of this parable, you've missed the point. Because this parable actually touches on some very profound topics. It touches upon, how am I saved? What does it mean to love God? And then, what does it mean to love our neighbor? What does it mean to have the love and compassion, the grace and mercy of God for our neighbor. Now, you might be thinking, hold on, hold on. I came to church. We're doing the parables of Jesus. He told simple stories. Isn't this supposed to be a real simple story? Well, Jesus did tell a bunch of parables, and he made them simple, but he told simple stories to help us understand the divine. You see, the actual, what happens before we get to this parable is that Jesus has sent out the 72. They've come back. They're telling him all these wonderful things that have happened. And he thanks the Father, and then he gathers them in, and he says this to him: Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. 
For I tell you, many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So today, as we come to this parable, desire to see what Jesus sees, desire to hear and understand what Jesus is talking about. And as Jesus said, often he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So let's go to the parable. Begins setting setting up the parable this way. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with your strength and with all your mind and your neighbors yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So by the way, a lot of people skip over this part because they just want to get to the parable. But if you skip over this part, the parable actually doesn't have the depth, the breadth for it. So, what's happening? Jesus is preaching and teaching, right? And just like today, back then, people would stand up and try to trap the speaker with a gotcha question, right? So we have a lawyer. And by the way, when we, when we talk about lawyer, it's not like we talk about today, a lawyer like that. This is somebody who would have been well-versed in the law of Moses. So he was a lawyer in that respect. Or you could say a theologian. So he stands up, and he's going to try to trap Jesus with a gotcha question. And he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In, in our vernacular, we would say, what must I do to be saved? Or how do I go to heaven? And I want you to notice what Jesus did. He didn't answer him right away, directly like that, did he? He actually asked a question. He says this, what is written in the law? How do you read it? See, rather than try to argue back and forth, Jesus said, what has God already said? And I think this is a good lesson for us. Rather than try to argue apart from Scripture, we should actually just say, well, what has God said? Because a lot of people who want to argue against Christianity don't actually know what God has already said. You know, Jesus even refuted the devil. When he was in the wilderness and the devil was tempting him, Jesus answered, it is is written. All right, so Jesus poses this question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer, he answers with basically two verses, one from Deuteronomy and one from Leviticus. Deuteronomy is part of the Shema, one of the most famous scripture readings for the nation of Israel. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
And the Leviticus, which we had our reading today, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the lawyer, he's book smart, right? Did he give the right answer? He did. If you sum up all of the law, if you condense it, the very essence is about love. It is about the love of God. And then your love of neighbor. Jesus, when he was tested in, in, in Mark, he answered this too. He's, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he gave the same answer as the lawyer. So it was the right and proper answer. And then Jesus said this. You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Pretty simple, right? So you've answered correctly. Do this and live. I want to tell you this is very simple to understand, isn't it? I mean, we all get that. It's simple to understand. It is impossible to do. Let me say it again. This is simple to understand, and it is impossible for us to do. Impossible, you might say. Well, let me put it this way. Have you ever loved one fully and completely without reservation? Remember Billy Graham, his wife, Ruth? She was asked, have you ever thought about divorce? And she said, no, I've never thought about divorce. Murder, yes, but not divorce. Right? <laughs> yeah. We'll see which couple nudges the other hard. <laughs> So, I mean, there's a level that we're talking about here, isn't it? And it's not just the feeling of love. The Bible doesn't talk just about the feeling of love. It includes one's actions because Jesus said, do this and you shall live. You see, taking action on God's word is what God desires for you. I mean, we've covered that in the parable. We talked about the parable, building your house on the rock. Jesus said, if you not only hear, but do my words, you'll be like the man who built your house on, built his house on the rock. So taking action is not only what the Old Testament declares, it's what the New Testament declares. But the commandment is even greater than that, isn't it? It's not just loving a little bit. It's supposed, you're supposed to be all in without reservation, nothing left out. See, to fully and perfectly love God is to fully and perfectly keep his commandments. That's what it's talking about. Now, some people might say, well, pff, okay, great. If I want to go to heaven, all I have to do is fully and completely keep his commandments. Good. I'm good to go. Au contraire, mon frère. Have any of us ever perfectly kept even one commandment? Let me, let me just give you a couple questions just to see how you're doing, okay? And you don't have to answer. This can be a silent response. How many lies have you ever told? Yeah, telling lies. Have you ever stolen something, even very, very small, something simple, even changed from your parents' dresser? 
Have you ever used God's name in a way that shouldn't be used? Have you, (laughs) did you ever disobey your parents? Okay, so these are just four questions. But if you answered yes to these four, you are a lying, thieving, blasphemous rebel. Ta-da! And by the way, if you break one, you break them all. So it is impossible for us to do what Jesus said. It is impossible. It's impossible because the love, the call to love God and our neighbor isn't even on the same scale that we consider. It speaks to the great, great, deep, divine love of who God is, of who God is. And that's the measuring stick. He is the measuring stick for what it means to love him and to love our neighbor. And we fall short. We fall short simply because of sin, right? In Romans it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, if you say, hey, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm working on keeping the Ten Commandments, you are out of luck. There is no possibility of you inheriting eternal life just by trying to follow the Ten Commandments because you will fall short. But there is one who has not fallen short, and his name is? Jesus, that's right. He has not fallen short. Jesus perfectly loved the Father, perfectly loved the neighbor. And that's why he came. He came to pay the price because we fall short. And salvation is all his doing. There's one thing and one thing alone that you brought for your salvation. The only thing you brought for your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. So Jesus came. He paid the price for that. And you can only inherit eternal life through him. It says this from our reading in Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So how does one inherit eternal life? Through grace alone, in Christ alone. Period. That's it. Did the lawyer understand that? He didn't, did he? And here is the Savior of the world right before him. And he didn't comprehend what Jesus had been teaching, what Jesus had been preaching, the miracles that he'd done. Look, if I were one of the disciples, I don't know if I could have held back. I would say, don't you know who's right in front of you here? But what does Jesus do? He lets the lawyer's pride come forth in its fullness. He lets the sin show forth. 
And how do we know that the lawyer's pride came forth? It is this, but desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, what he was doing, he was really trying to justify how good he was already. And that there are some people who deserve help and some people who don't deserve help. You know how lawyers like to look for loopholes? They do. We all do. Because sin likes to look for loopholes. And so now Jesus is going to tell a parable in which there are no loopholes. So we finally get to the parable here. It says this, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. So, this man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. We, we, it, it's down because actually Jerusalem's on the hill and Jericho's lower. So he literally was going down to Jerusalem, uh, to Jericho. And he's a Jew. So he gets uh, beaten, robbed. He's left for half dead. And then two very religious people come by. One is a priest would have been a temple priest. He walks by, and he actually goes on the other side to go around this man, doesn't stop at all. And a Levite, part of the tribe of Levi, who were to be dedicated unto the Lord, this Levi, Levite goes around too. Now, these are two men who knew the law. They should have been able to quote Deuteronomy. They should have been able to quote Leviticus, the greatest command, love God and love your neighbor. But two religious people passed them by. You would think, well, how could that ever, ever happen? Well, it's a lot easier than you think. Let me tell you about an experiment that was done, kind of a famous experiment, in 1973, at Princeton Theological Seminary. It's called the Good Samaritan uh, Experiment. Now, uh, you can go online. I'm going to give you a bit of a truncated version of, of what it was. But they wanted to find out, would seminarians actually go out of their way to help somebody in need? So, there was one semester, and uh, one of the professors gave an assignment to the seminarians that they were to go preach or teach, at least on the Good Samaritan. And to do that, they had to go from his classroom to another classroom uh, down the hall. I don't know how far it was, but it was a little ways away. They, they had to really walk to get there. And what he did with one group, he gave them about 10 minutes or so to be able to get to their classroom. And with another, he gave them less time. So they kind of had to hurry a bit. And with one, 
they gave him barely enough time to get to the other classroom to do it. And they had to go through this corridor in which there was planned a guy who looked destitute and certainly in distress, in need. So they literally had to go by this guy on their way to preach about the Good Samaritan. So be curious what you think the results are. I'm going to give it to you here. So those who weren't as hearing, 63% stopped. You would, right, these are religious people. Why didn't 100% stop? They had time. Now, those who were moderately hurried, only 45% stopped. And those who were very hurried, only 10% stopped. To somebody who's destitute and obviously in distress in need. These were religious people. So it's very easy for us to become self-absorbed in our own little world. Even if we go to church, right? Even if we do all the religious things, it's very easy for us to become self-absorbed. And now 50 years later, I think this experiment would show even worse results. How do I, why, why would I do that? Well, have you noticed how many muggings, beatings, and things have happened during the day? And how many videos we have of that because people stop and they video it? rather than stopping and helping the person in need. It boggles my mind. Oh, there's somebody getting beat up. Let me just video it. I think we've become even more self-absorbed. But even if we haven't, the same moral condition is in our hearts as the Levites, as the priests. But the parable doesn't stop there. They had no compassion, but there was one who had compassion. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. They set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to took care of him. And the next day, He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Do you remember last week we talked about uh, tax collectors? If you were here, we talked about tax collectors. And we all have tax collectors that we do not like and even despise. Well, the hatred between Sumerians... And Jews was even greater than that. The mere term Samaritan was one of contempt on the lips of Jews. Jewish rabbis said, Let no man eat the bread of the Samaritans, for he who eats their bread is one who eats the swine's flesh. And that goes back even to the prodigal son about how unclean the swine were. A popular prayer in those days said, And Lord, do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. In essence, Lord, let the Samaritans go to hell. So it was astounding when Jesus 
not only used the Samaritan in this example as the hero, but it was also astounding that Jesus sat with the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4. He truly was breaking the barriers of the culture. So why did he stop? Why did the Samaritan stop? It's actually in the text. He stopped because he had compassion. Compassion. Uh, It's often uh, related to mercy. Have you ever been in a situation where you've come across somebody and your heart just breaks for them and you have to stop and help them? Or you have a feeling in the gut. It just like kicks you in the gut and you have to stop and help. That's the compassion that we're talking about here. The Samaritan saw the Jew, and even though they were enemies, he didn't see the Jew as an enemy. He saw them as someone who was in need, a person who was in need. When people only see enemies, it increases their hatred and contempt for others. But when you see them as people, not enemies. Compassion is present. Now, a couple of years ago, I gave this example, but it fits so well here, and we have a lot of people who haven't heard this yet. During World War II, the Japanese took many prisoners of war and made them uh, do slave labor. And there's a fellow named Ernest Gordon, he was a Scotsman. He was captured and by the Japanese and forced to help build a railroad in Thailand. He wrote a book about this called Through the Valley of the Kwai. It's also been repackaged, same book, different title, uh, To End All Wars. It was a movie a uh, number of years ago with Kiefer Sutherland. I actually have one copy back on the resource table. It is one of the best Christian testaments I have read, a testimony. So they had to build this railroad, and it was called the Railway of Death. More than 80,000 Allied prisoners of war died during the building of this railroad. Approximately 393 lives for every mile of track, one grave for about every 13 feet of track. So if you took a look today, from that end to this end, there would be about four graves just to build this one section here. The Japanese were evil. I really mean that. They were evil. And it was a horrific condition. During this time, Ernest Gordon and many other men came to faith in Christ Jesus. In the midst of hell, they came to faith in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to read an account that's at the very end of the book to talk about, uh, that encapsulates a bit of their journey and how they grew in love, grace, mercy, and compassion. So it's at the end of the war. The Japanese were losing, by the way, and they were at a railway station. He writes this, 
We found ourselves on the same track with several carloads of Japanese wounded. They were on their own and without medical care, no longer fit for action. They had been packed into a railway, railway trucks, which were being turned, returned to Bangkok. They were in a shocking state. I've never seen men filthier. Their uniforms were encrusted with mud, blood, and excrement. Their wounds, sorely inflamed and full of pus, crawled with maggots. We could understand now why the Japanese were so cruel to their prisoners. If they didn't care for their own, why should they care for us? The wounded men looked at us forlornly as they sat with their heads resting against the carriages, waiting fatalistically for death. They were the refuse of war. There was nowhere to go and no one to care for them. They were the enemy more cowed and defeated than we had ever been. Without a word, most of the officers in my section unbuckled their packs, took out part of their rations, and a rag or two, with water canteens in the hands, went over to the Japanese train to help them. Our guards tried to prevent us yelling at us, but we ignored them and knelt by the side of the enemy to give them food and water, to clean and bind up their wounds to smile and say a kind word. Grateful cries of thank you followed us when we left. An allied officer from another section of the train had been taking it all in. What bloody fools you all are, he said to me. Don't you realize that those are the enemy? Have you never heard the story of the man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho? I asked him. He gave me a blank look, so I continued. He was attacked by thugs, stripped of everything, and left to die. Along came a priest. He passed him by. Then came a lawyer, a man of high principles. He passed him by. Next came a Samaritan, a half-caste, a heretic, an enemy. But he didn't pass him by. He stopped. His heart was filled with compassion. Kneeling down, he poured some wine through the unconscious lips, cleansed and dressed the helpless man's wounds, then took him to an inn where he cared for him at his own expense. But that's different, the officer protested angrily. That's in the Bible. These are the swine who starved us and beaten us. They've murdered our comrades. They are our enemy. Brothers and sisters, just as the officer did not understand the compassion, the love, the grace, the mercy of God, neither did the lawyer. Let me tell you how great God's love is for you. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God's grace, his mercy, his compassion has reached out to you, though you were enemies, though you did not deserve it. Christ knelt beside you. He healed your wounds. He washed you clean. He brought you up. This is the great love, the depth, the breadth, the mercy of God for you. So Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Are we to help those in need? Yes, without doubt. Why? Because of the great love, the great mercy, the great grace that God has given us. Because of the love that God is. We are to show that to others for no other reason than that. Even if they are, they are our enemy. So we are to take Jesus' words to heart in the depth and breadth of what he has said. Go and do likewise. Amen. In a moment, we'll have the Lord's Supper. For those who are visiting, there's information in the sermon notes, on the sermon notes about the Lord's Supper. But we do it two different ways. One, uh, by procession. We'll do this side first, this side second, and then the individual cups afterwards. Our Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after they had eaten and he had given thanks, he took the cup. He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me.
For those who are doing the individual cups, please open the bread. The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Having received his body and his blood, Be strengthened in your faith, knowing that through him your sins are forgiven. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. Will you please stand as you are able. And let us pray as our Lord and Savior taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, and our final song is Hallelujah for the Cross. Up to the hill of Calvary. 
Peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a blessed week, everyone.